Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good, good. Uh, welcome to Morning Star Fellowship. Uh, we just want to say we're so glad you're here this morning, especially if this is your first or second time with us. You really are our honored VIP guest. We hope you felt welcome the moment you pulled into the parking lot and the moment you walked through our doors. We're just excited that you're here today. We really want nothing from you uh, other than there's a card in the seat in front of you. It's our connection card. If you could fill that out at some point during the service, bring it directly out those doors to our new here area. We have a free gift. We want to give you answer any questions you have and just let you know we're so grateful that you're here with us today. Also, because it wasn't in the, the announcements, uh, we take our offering, if you've been here for a while, we take our offering a little bit different. We don't pass anything around during this time, but we still believe that we are a church that is sacrificially generous. You guys have, throughout this entire year, really, um, during this entire season of pandemic, when we were closed for a season, you guys have been so faithful, continued to allow us to continue to, to do ministry um, and to continue to support missionaries and organizations all over the world. Uh, and it's because of your faithful giving, and uh, we're going to continue to be faithful in that way. And so, if you're going to partner with us in that way, uh, there's many ways for you to give. Um, you can give right at those uh, boxes outside the door. Um, we're going to collect a second offering, as they mentioned, next week. It's going to be separate. That's the only time during the year where we actually do two offerings. Um, you got a, uh, How many of you got that uh, little uh, handout when you came in today, One Day to Feed the World handout? Hopefully you got that. If you're not, we'll make sure you get one before you leave. It gives you a little bit of information about what One Day to Feed the World is all about, what Convoy of Hope is all about. They're an amazing organization that's just doing great work all over the world, including here in America when there's disasters and things. Uh, they are always like first on the scene, and we have the privilege of partnering with them. We partner with them every year. It's one of our greatest and our biggest offerings every year, um, and we're going to continue to be sacrificially generous in that way. And so I'm going to encourage you to pray this week about what God would want you to give. The idea behind one day to feed the world is you take one day of your salary, what would equal one day of your pay, and you sacrificially give that to this organization, and your one day changes there every day. And so we're going to do that, and we're going to be excited to do that next week as well. We'll have a special speaker. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. I believe the guy who is speaking next week, his name is Dr. Dirt. That's not his real name, obviously, but that's his nickname, and, um, and he's, uh, he's uh, going to be great, and it's going to be a great, great Sunday. Um, and so, again, just prayfully consider what God would have you to give. This morning, we're in chapter, or, or part six of our series going through the book of Philippians. We're actually going to be in Philippians chapter three, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're going to get there in just a moment. Philippians chapter three, we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses this morning. Um, and as, we, as you're turning there, I want you to just kind of think about about this to kind of get us on the same page this morning. Um, how many of you can remember the first job that you ever applied for where you actually needed to kind of fill out and hand in a resume? Raise your hand if you remember your first resume that you ever filled out. What do you typically do with a resume? You typically put in some, some glowing kind of characteristics about yourself, right? You kind of put a little bit of your history, your work history if you had any, uh, and then you put things in there that, that are going to show the person, the, the job that you're applying for, why they should pick you, right? Why you are the best candidate. You normally don't focus very much on the negative things. You don't focus on your, on your negative qualities. You focus more on your positive qualities, right? And, and how many of you have ever been in an interview where they've asked you to, to you know, tell us, what your, uh, tell us what your greatest defaults are? Like, tell us what your, your, your strengths are, but also tell us your weaknesses. How many of you have ever had somebody ask you that? And what do you do? You think of how you can say your strengths in the form of weaknesses, right? Well, my greatest weakness, I guess, is that I'm just too committed to the job. I, 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 you know, honestly, I think I work too hard. 
That's just my, I, 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 I'm gonna spend too many hours here. I'm just too committed to this. It's, it's really probably my only week, right? Come on, right? You, you kind of talk up your strengths and you don't really talk about your weaknesses because you're trying to, to win the job, right? You're trying to, to, to make yourself stand out above all of the other people who are applying for the job. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Now, I know this isn't how it works. I know this is just a hypothetical thing. But for a second, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that God is collecting resumes, God is collecting resumes from every single person, and uh, he's collecting resumes to determine who's in and who's out. Like, who's going to be in heaven? There's only a limited amount of spots. There's only a limited amount of openings to get into heaven for eternity. It's either heaven or hell, your two choices. And, and he's collecting resumes to determine who's in and who's out. And so you got to kind of gather your own spiritual resume, you got to think of all the things. I want you to think about it for a second. I want you to think of what kind of things you would put on your, on your spiritual resume. What kind of care? I mean, th- you're going to put things like this. Your, your experiences, right? Your, your spiritual experiences, your, your God-given talents and abilities, the things that he's given you, what you've done for God. Maybe you write in there your, your church attendance record. Your serving record, well, I've served a few times. I serve pretty much every other week, right? I give pretty consistently, right? All of these different qualities and qualifications that maybe you would, would have. Now, again, I'm, I know this is, this is hy- hypothetical. I know this isn't something any of you do. I don't think anybody in this room is walking around with a, a spiritual resume in their pocket. If you are, you're weird. Um, that's just reality. All of us are judging you. Um, but what do we do, right? We... we probably don't do this. We don't have a spiritual resume that we carry around, but truthfully, we kind of do this subconsciously all the time. We keep track of the good things that we do. We keep track of the things, and maybe you don't just keep track of the things you've done, but what we typically do is we compare the good things we've done to the, the things that other people have done. So we keep in mind the things that we've done that, that maybe make us a better candidate. I might not be perfect, but I'm at least better than that guy right? I'm at least better than, than that person. When we compare ourselves to people who we think are maybe less spiritual than us to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and our standing, right? If I'm comparing myself to them, then I think I got a pretty good chance of getting in if God was collecting these spiritual resume. This portion of of Philippians that we're looking at this morning, um, and the reason we're talking about this idea of spiritual resumes is, is Paul's gonna give us a little bit of a glimpse into his spiritual resume, his spiritual accomplishments, his qualifications, and he's going to show us in this portion of scripture what is most important when it comes to your spiritual resume. And so with that in mind, I wanna break down Philippians 3, 1 through 11. We're gonna kind of break this down verse by verse and kind of talk about what Paul says. Verse one says this, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and a safeguard for you. I want to stop right, right here really quick because right from the very beginning of this portion of Scripture, Paul is, is giving us an explanation of why he is writing what he's about to write. He's writing to encourage the Philippian church and to encourage us to rejoice in the Lord, to find our joy in nothing other than Jesus. Everything else that we chase after in life to find joy is temporary and cannot deliver what we're looking for. So he says, first and foremost, rejoice in the Lord. Build your joy on that foundation. Build on the foundation of the Lord. The reality is many times the reason we struggle with experiencing joy in our life is because we do the exact opposite. 
We do the exact opposite. We don't find our joy in Jesus. We try to find our joy in everything else, in our circumstances. And how many of you know if you're trying to find joy in circumstances, your joy is going to be like this. It's going to be like this roller coaster. There's going to be there's going to be good days. Things are going good. Things feel like they're great in your life. And then you're going to go through those valleys in life. And if your joy is based on your circumstances or based on something else that was never meant to give you what you're looking for, you're going to be greatly disappointed. So he says, first and foremost, build and find your joy, rejoice in the Lord, because no matter what you go through in your life, if your joy is in the Lord, you're gonna have consistent joy. Because even when you go through those valleys and those mountains in life, Jesus is still consistent. He's still there with you all the time. So rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, he says, what I'm about to tell you, I don't mind telling you again, because it's a safeguard for you. If you're gonna experience joy in the Lord, he's trying to safeguard us from settling for chasing after joy in any other way. And apparently this is something that he's talked about with these people before, whether it was in his time with them in person when he planted the church, but he's, he's talked about what he's about to warn them about. He's, he's mentioned this before. He's mentioned this before all throughout the New Testament and other letters to the churches. And he's about to safeguard them again, remind them again. And so he goes on to say this in verse two. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He goes on with this, this warning, this instruction to watch out, to be on the lookout, to watch out for the dogs. Now, just so we're clear, this wasn't a compliment. All right, some of you, you think of dogs and you think of your cute little puppy, some kind of doodle, I'm sure, right? Because they make everything as a doodle. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? Every dog is mixed with a poodle. Like every, it's like a snickerdoodle. I'm sure that's a cookie, but I'm pretty sure it's a dog as well. There's like cockapoodles, right? There's like labradoodles. Come on, how, is anybody, raise your hand if you own some kind of doodle right? And so it's easy when you think of that. He says, oh, dog, he's, he's complimenting them. They're a cute little puppy. No, 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 no. The picture he's trying to paint here is not of your cute little puppy. The picture he's trying to pa paint here is of these savage pack animals, that's what the dogs were in that day, who went around tormenting people, scavenging for food, eating the garbage that was left on the street. I mean, it wasn't a compliment. He's saying, watch out for these scavengers, these, these, evil, these evil doers, these mutilators of the flesh. And so who's he talking about? Who's he, who's he talking about in this portion of scripture? He's talking about false teachers, and specifically, he's talking about this group of people that were called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were, were Jewish Christians uh, who kept the Jewish law, but also believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They followed the Jewish law and traditions, but they also believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were quite vocal about their belief that if you are going to be a Christian, you first have to be a Jew. You have to convert to Judaism to be a Christian. And the big thing that they focused on when it came to the acts that you needed to do to convert to Judaism was they focused on circumcision. It was the ancient rite, the tradition that they followed to, to be brought into the Jewish community. And so Paul uses this idea of circumcision and he calls them mutilators of the flesh. Now, how many of you came to church this morning thinking, you know what, I really hope we talk about circumcision at church? <laughs> Anybody? Raise your hand. Nobody? No, nobody? Nobody? You did? Weird. It's your lucky day. I'm too immature to handle this portion of scripture apparently, but yeah, it's in there. See, the circumcision was, a, was an Old Testament ritual the people of God would perform uh, to show that they were part of the children of God. God called them apart, set them apart from all the other nations and tribes in the world. 
He says, look, I don't want you to be like all the other nations who worship false gods and, 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 and create idols in these false gods' image. I want you to be different. I want you to be set apart. I want you to worship the one true God. And the outward sign that I want you to do to show that you have been cut off and set apart from the other nations of the world is a sign of circumcision. It will be an outward sign of the inward transformation. And so these Judaizers were stuck uh, dealing with this and thinking this still applied as a way of showing that you were truly a part of the, uh, of the body of Christ. And this wasn't Paul's first run-in with these people. In Acts chapter 15, uh, he had a run-in with them in the Gentile city of Antioch. Again, not a, not a Jewish city, a Gentile city. And so these people didn't know about this at all. And, and it said this in Acts 15. It said, some men came from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas had some other, and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. They wanted to make sure that they were teaching the gospel the correct way. Essentially, these Judaizers were teaching that faith in Jesus was important, but it wasn't enough. You needed to have faith in Jesus plus circumcision if you were going to experience true salvation. Right? It was this idea, Jesus plus circumcision equals truly saved. But the reality is, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Like if you add anything to Jesus, and you try to add any other requirements other than Jesus, you completely screw up the whole thing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And this was something that Paul was constantly having to preach against, constantly having to, to warn against, because in, in people's nature, it was so easy for them to try to, to, try to add something to the gospel. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 through 6, Paul says this. He said, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And so Paul warns the early readers and warns us to not listen to these false teachers, to not listen to them who think they're on the inside because of this specific spiritual act, but are actually on the outside. They're not the insiders, they're actually the outsiders. They're, they're cut off from Christ because they are putting their trust in this act of the flesh and not true faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this in verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision." The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. How many of you ever had somebody ask you, hey, are you a, are you a follower of Christ? Are you a, anybody you've ever had somebody ask, are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian? And you answered, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I like to refer to myself as the circumcised. <laughs> now, we were actually thinking about changing our name for the church, be more spiritually correct, Church of the Circumcision. Um, Anybody excited to invite your friends on a Sunday? <laughs> what church you go to? Uh, you know, the one on uh, 663 Garaville Bike, Church of the Circumcised? It's going to be a great time. Like, nobody wanted to come to that church. That, I've never, ever referred to myself in that way, but Paul is trying to make a very, very specific point by saying that. These people, these people believe they're in, because he's really mocking them. 
He's saying these people believe they're in because they've done this spiritual act. They've they've done this physical act. They, They think that that truly makes them believe. But he says, here's what it really looks like to be in. Here's what it really looks like. Here, what are, what are the marks of somebody who is actually following Christ, who's actually and who's actually part of this group called the circumcised, the circumcision of the heart, those who are truly followers of Christ. And then he gives three things that you should experience, three marks that should be in your life if you are truly a follower of Christ. He says, number one, they worship by the Spirit. They worship by the Spirit. In other words, our worship is not just empty words. It's not just empty tradition. It's not just religious motions. It's not just checking off the box of the spiritual acts. We worship with the Holy Spirit inside of us. He is who is working in and through us. We worship in the Spirit. We're not simply going through the motions. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens our hearts to an understanding of who God is. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and to rejoice what God has done. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and savor all that God has done for us and made possible for us through Christ Jesus. We worship in the Spirit. In Romans 2, verse 28 through 29, Paul says it like this. He says, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. True followers, he says, worship in the Spirit. But also, they boast in Christ alone. Worship by the Spirit, boast in Christ alone. Those who have received right standing with God uh, know that it's not because of anything that they have done to bring that right standing. Their boasting is in Christ and Christ alone. Christ alone is who has accomplished for you what you have. He's the only way possible that you have to have a relationship with God. There is absolutely nothing that you have done that's worth boasting in that makes you acceptable in God's sight. We boast in Christ alone. And then number three, he says, they also put no confidence in the flesh, which is just building off of that second one. We boast in Christ alone and we put no confidence in the the flesh. There's a specific confidence in the flesh that is directly opposed to having a confidence in Christ alone. It means that as a true follower of Christ, uh, we have no confidence in any deeds or works or obedience that we have done in our life to, to add anything to our chance of experiencing salvation. There is nothing that we can boast in and of ourselves. There's no act that we've done that we can boast. We have no confidence in our flesh or our religious works. Here's what happens when we, when we tend to hold on to our spiritual resume and our works of the flesh as if they are the determining factor of what makes us in or out. It leads to two things. It either leads to, number one, we look at our resume, our spiritual resume, all of our accomplishments, and we're hopeless. How many of you have ever done that? You looked at your spiritual resume, you look at the things you've done, and you go, man, this is not a good resume. Like, I know my faults, I know my failures, I know the mistakes I've made. Even when I try to do good things, I know my motives sometimes aren't right. Come on, how many of you have ever been there? So you look at your spiritual resume and you go, man, I, my resume is not that great. There, it's full of, of failures and like half wins, but there's nothing in there that's really that redeemable. And so what we, we try to do is we try to do everything possible to, to do good things, to hopefully just kind of tip the scales in our favor. We know it's not gonna fully make up for all the wrong, but if we can just do enough good to kind of tip the scales in our favor, maybe if we're, we're based on our own resume, maybe there's a chance that I'll get in, maybe in and of myself, if I just tip the scales enough in my favor, I can get in. But what normally happens is we realize we'll never do that, and so we just give up and lose hope. 
we hear that voice of condemnation, that, 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 that shame constantly that we hear, and we just feel like there's just no chance that we could ever be right with God. There's no chance that our resume will ever get us there. Or where the second thing takes place, which I think is almost worse than the first one, is that we put our, 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 our idea and our resume, our spiritual resume, and we look at our spiritual resume with, with pride and self-righteousness. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look how good I've become. Look how holy that I've become. Look how good I am at following the rules. Or maybe, again, we just compare our resume with other people's resumes. And so we go, well, compared to that person, I'm pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody this week. I haven't had an affair. I haven't slept with somebody that's not my spouse. I'm doing pretty good, right? I haven't cheated on my taxes this year, right? I wear a mask at all times. I am super spiritual compared to this guy. And so I feel pretty good about my resume. I feel pretty good about my standing with God based on what I've done. And I think that's where the Judaizers were. They felt pretty good about themselves. They felt pretty good about their religious acts. They felt pretty good about the the acts of the flesh, the the religious actions that they have done. Uh, They had an outward, they outwardly showed that they were following the rules without the inward transformation of a true heart that was dedicated to Christ. And they had a lot of pride in their resume. So Paul is going to do in these next few verses what I would like to call crushing their dreams. Like he is about to to crush their hopes and their dreams in their spiritual resume. So check out verses four through six. It says this. Although I have reason, this is Paul, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is by the law, blameless. I mean, just check out Paul's spiritual resume for a second and just think about it. I love how he says, listen, if these guys think that they should have confidence in their flesh, I should have more confidence. Like I have more reasons than they ever would have to be confident in their their, their resume. And then he goes on to kind of show his resume. He goes on to show why he could have confidence in his flesh. And he starts by, by talking about things that he had absolutely no control over, his upbringing. For a Jewish person, this is a lot of times where their spiritual pride came. We were born people of God. We were, we were part, we were called out, we were set aside. We are God's people. And so he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he was a natural, as soon as he could follow the law, he was following the law. Anybody else? You've been following the law since you were eight days old? Nobody? Your parents are in here with you, so maybe they know you're lying. He, he followed the law. From the eighth day, he, he, was, he was following the letter of the law. The eighth day was when every Jewish boy that was born a Jewish boy would be circumcised, would be set apart in that way. They would go through that ritual act. And so he was, from the very earliest stages of his life, he was following Jew. He was of the nation of Israel, refers to the fact that he was a natural-born descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. He was a Jew of Jew. He was from the, the tribe of Benjamin, he says which meant that not only was he a natural born Jew, but he was from one of the better tribes. He has a better family upbringing, the better, one of the better tribes of the people, one of the, the, the more prideful tribes in the people of Israel. And then he says a Hebrew of Hebrews. He wasn't a mixed race, that his parents were, were fully Hebrews. They were fully Jewish from the day he was born. He was Jewish. Come on, his resume from a, from a standpoint of his birth was pretty spotless. How many of you ever know that family that you look at and you're like, their family's just perfect? 
right? How many of you, had, when your parents were young, they would look at you and they'd be like, why can't you be like so-and-so? Anybody ever do that? You do that? Why can't you be as well-behaved as Johnny? That's Paul. That's who the other people would have been. Why can't you act like Paul? Why can't you have, have been a, a, better, a better child like Paul? Why can't you follow the rules like Paul follows the rules? According to, according to his birth and his upbringing, he had a perfect resume. And then he goes on to mention and talk about things that he has done on his own with diligence and, and dedication. He says, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Means that before his conversion, Paul was a member of the strictest sect of the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees. They followed the written law perfectly to a T. And not only did they follow the written law, but there was the oral law, all these rules that they had added to the written law that he followed them perfectly as well. They had the entire Old Testament memorized. If you ever play Bible trivia, you'd want Paul on your team. Right? He just knew all the answers. He'd be able to know the answers. What's this verse? He would start quoting the verse halfway through. He knew God's word. They knew the law and the written law and the oral law. And then he says, not only was I regarding the law of Pharisee, he says, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Shows that Paul had been so zealous for his religion, so zealous for the word of God and the, and the, and the Mosaic law that he sought to stamp out anything that would have been seen as, as heresy. And so the, the Pharisees saw the early church Christians as, as speaking against the Mosaic law, speaking against the law, speaking heresy. And so they were in direct opposition of Paul and the, and the Pharisees. And so Paul was so zealous that he persecuted and wanted to kind of snuff out and get rid of the church of Christ. In fact, we know when we read about his conversion, he was on the way to do just that. He was on the way to imprison, on the way to Damascus, to imprison the church, to persecute the church, to kill the church if he needed to, because he was so zealous for the truth of the God or what he thought was the truth of the law that he wanted to persecute the church until God radically transformed his life. He says, according to zeal, I was zealous, I persecuted the church. And then he says this, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless means that according to the outward letter of the law, he followed it perfectly. That's what he's saying. Nobody could, nobody could accuse me of wrongdoing according to the letter of the law. There is nothing wrong about how he lived. I mean, he, how many of you would say Paul had a pretty amazing spiritual resume? He had a pretty amazing spiritual resume. If you compare your resume to Paul, you fail. If you compare your resume to mine, you got a pretty good shot. But if you compare your resume to Paul, you fall very, very short, right? His resume is solid, but what does he go on to say? After naming all these accomplishments, after showing all of these things that he could have confidence in the flesh for, what does he say? We're gonna look at the last few verses, seven through 11. It says, but everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. There are, are four things in those last few verses that I wanna just kind of quickly talk about as we, as we close this morning. As we get back to what we talked about in the very first verse, it says, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in, in Jesus. We, we can't rejoice in the Lord. We can't experience this joy that Paul is talking about if we're first not found in Christ. 
You can't experience finding your joy in Jesus if you are not in Christ, if you haven't experienced a a real life-changing relationship with your Savior. And so he says, this is what your life should look like. This will be some of the marks of your life if you are truly in Christ. If you're gonna experience, these are some experiences that we should have when we are in Christ that will allow us to experience this joy in the Lord that he talked about in the very first verse. And so the first thing he says is this. He says, everything is a loss compared to gaining Christ. Everything is a loss compared to Christ. That's what he says from the very beginning in verse seven. He says, everything that was gained to me, everything that he just talked about on his spiritual resume, he says, all of that 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 was gained to me is now lost because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Paul looks at all of his accomplishments. He looks at all of the things that at one time in his life he would have put in the gain column. All of the things that one time in his life he would have taken spiritual to, to pride in, right? This is what I've done. This is how I was born. This is how I've lived my life to make myself worthy. All of those things that he would have put in that gain column. And he says, all of it is pointless. All of it is is worthless. It's as valueless as a pile of poop. You know, this, the crassness of that term, it's on purpose. In fact, the, the Greek word, I'm gonna mess it up, is scubaloo or something along those lines. Sounds like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> something along those lines. It's the only time in the entire Bible that that word is used. And it's a word that literally means a pile of crap. He says, everything that I once held dear, everything that once made me feel good about myself, everything that I once felt was righteousness, everything about my past that I once held onto, all of it is nothing. It matters not one bit at all compared to knowing Christ. Everything I once held onto, he says, essentially what he's saying is you can have the the bread of life that will eternally satisfy you, or you can have a pile of poop, it's your choice. You can hold on to all of these things in your past, all of these things that that matter to you that you think build up your spiritual resume or you can have Jesus, but you can't have them both. Everything else is worthless and pointless compared to knowing Jesus because Jesus is greater than all of it. That's what he's come to experience. That's what what happened when he radically was transformed by Christ on the road to Damascus. In that moment, he realized that everything he once chased after, everything he once held onto, everything that he once built up as his spiritual accomplishments mattered not one bit at all in comparison to Christ. And he wants us to experience that same thing. He wants us to stop holding onto our spiritual resume and start holding onto Jesus. So the question you have to ask yourself before we move on, is Jesus your greatest desire? Because when you're truly in Christ, he says, it's gonna be your greatest desire. Everything else is gonna seem worthless. It doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean nothing else has value. It just means compared to Christ, it's not gonna add up. Compared to Christ, it's going to seem worthless. Another thing that Paul says we will experience when we're in Christ is this. Our righteousness will be found in Christ, not ourselves. In verse nine, he goes on to say this. He says, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 21, a verse that is often referred to as the, the, the great exchange, the Bible says this. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, 
we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that Jesus literally became sin for us, that he lived a perfect life, right? He, he never messed up. He never had any impure thoughts. He lived perfectly, but the Bible says that, that God literally put our sin on him in our place. Everything that you've done, the worst things that you've done, the worst sins that, that anybody has done in the world, the Bible says that Jesus became that sin and he, and he suffered the, the wrath of God, the hatred of God towards that sin in your place for your sins. It's a great exchange because it's the most unfair exchange ever. Here, God, here's all my mistakes. Here's all my failures. I give them to you. What do I get in exchange? Righteousness of God, right standing with God. It's not fair to Jesus, but he did it because it was the only way that we could experience right standing with God. The Bible says in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We really have two choices when it comes to this. We will either stand before God with our spiritual resume and we'll be judged based on it. And let's just be clear, none of us is in for that. Isaiah 64, verse six, it says, all of us are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Even your most righteous deed is nothing but a dirty diaper to God. Look what I made you, God. How many of you have kids that have ever made you something gross? And they were all proud of themselves. That's how I visualize this. Look at me, God. Look what I made you. Here's my dirty diaper. It says even our best action, even our, our, the best that we can do in and of ourselves is like filthy rags. If you're looking for your resume to get you in, I have bad news. Your resume sucks. It's not gonna get you in. It's not gonna do anything. You have two choices. You either stand before God with your resume or we stand before God and we be judged based on Jesus' resume for us. God looks at our resume and he sees all of our accomplishments where they're not that impressive, but then he keeps looking down and he sees references and we put see Jesus. And God looks at Jesus' resume for us. It doesn't mean he looks at, he doesn't, he doesn't judge us based on our resume anymore when we are found in Christ. He, you understand what that, that, that means? He doesn't look at us when he looks at you, when you are truly found in Christ. He doesn't look at you and all of your failures and all of your mistakes that you continue to hold on to and judge yourself by. He doesn't look at any of that. When you are truly in Christ, he looks at you and he sees Jesus' perfection in your place for your sins. He judges you not based on your resume, but based on Jesus' resume. That's why he says, I've been, I, want to, I want to be found in a righteousness that is not of my own because my righteousness is no good. I want to be found in Christ's righteousness, which is only received through faith and believing in Jesus Christ. Another thing he goes on to say is this, when we've experienced that, I will truly want to follow Jesus and know Jesus in every way. I want to truly know Christ in every way. When you've truly experienced this this salvation, this undeserved grace, when you truly experience that, our natural expression and overflow of that is we wanna live our lives to know Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. His life before was all about following the rules, but once he was transformed by Christ, once he was found in Christ, his whole life was, I just wanna know Christ. I just wanna know uh, the power of his resurrection. I just wanna know, uh, I just wanna know and experience his suffering. I just wanna know Christ. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. This knowing isn't simply about knowledge. Some of us, I just wanna know God, so I'm just gonna read my, I'm gonna memorize the scriptures. Well, guess what? The Pharisees, they knew the scriptures. They had all the knowledge in the world, yet they didn't know Jesus. They refused to know Jesus. They refused to surrender to Jesus. 
When he talks about knowing, he's talking about truly knowing Christ. He's talking about intimacy. The word that they use is this word called yada. The word yada is used in the Old Testament. Very first time it's used to explain the, the intimacy that is experienced between Adam and Eve. It says God wants to have that, that personal, real, into me see relationship with you. He already knows all your failures. He already knows all your flaws. He already knows all that stuff. And he wants you to rest in the fact that he knows you perfectly and he wants you to know him perfectly. He wants you to experience him like you've never experienced him before. And listen, not just in the good times, but he also wants you to learn to experience his presence in your suffering. That's what Paul says. I wanna know him in, in my suffering as well, which shows what he, what he talked about earlier in Philippians 1.29 when he says, for, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also have the privilege of suffering for him. How many of you think it's a privilege when you suffer for Christ? He says, it's a privilege. Why? Because God does something in your life when you walk through suffering and obedience. He draws your heart closer to him in ways that you've never experienced before. It's not always in the, the good times when we experience Christ's true power in our lives. It's often in the, the difficult times, the time of suffering, where we really experience his power, where we really get to know him in ways we've never known him before. And he wants you to know him. And our heart's desire, when we are founding Christ, when we've experienced this radical grace, when we're no longer relying on our resume to be right with God, but we, we have Jesus's resume in our place for our sins, our only response is, I wanna live a life of worship. I want everything I do to please God. I wanna live a life in a way that all I want to do is know Jesus. I want everything I do to reflect his goodness in this world. I want to live to know Jesus. And then the last thing is simply this. I will experience his resurrection power in my life as the worship team comes up and we close out today. Not only will I experience his power in my life, but I will experience his, his resurrection power in my life. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 through 20, Paul says it like this. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul was constantly looking forward to this resurrection of Christ, to fully experience in the resurrection power of God in, in his life. As we die to ourselves, the Bible says, he resurrects new life inside of us. He gives us new life. The same power that conquered the grave, the Bible says, lives in us, which means that we never have to even fear death itself because the resurrection power of God is living and working in our, our lives. In John chapter 11, Jesus said this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Dead things don't stay dead when the resurrection walks into the room. Dead things do not stay dead when the resurrection power of Christ shows up on the scene. Before Jesus, the Bible says you are dead in your sins, but he has resurrected you to new life. Would you stand with me as we close today? We're gonna close in a, a time of worship. God wants us to experience that, that resurrection power. It says the same power that conquered the grave, the same power that, that Jesus experienced that overcame death lives inside of you and me as far as Christ. Do you, do you realize just how much power that really is? Have you ever thought about that? 
Say, man, I'm just, I'm just never gonna be free from this sin. I'm never gonna be free from this addiction. You have the power of, of life. Resurrection power, if you're in Christ, is available to you. You don't ever have to walk in bondage to anything anymore that Jesus has opened the door and paid for your freedom. Dead things don't stay dead. He does a work in our lives. He continues to reconcile and bring life where there was, was death. You just have to bring him into the situation. Just allow him to come into the situation, experiencing his resurrection power in your life. I wanna close with just a couple things I want us to think about this morning. First of all, I want you to think, is there anything in your life that is drawing your attention away from Christ? In your own life, is there anything that you are allowing to draw your attention away from Christ? For the Philippians, it was this threat of false teachers. For you, it could be anything. It could be a, a relationship you're presently in. It could be a work situation. It could be something that you're holding on to from your past. It could be some kind of sin or struggle that you've had that you hold on to that's, that's taking away your attention from Christ. I, I just want to encourage you to fix your eyes firmly on Jesus as we close this morning to stop focusing on those other things, these lesser things, these distractions, and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who started the work and the one who's gonna carry you through to completion. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The second thing is this, when it comes to your standing before God, what are you placing your confidence in? You come here today placing your confidence in your resume, placing your confidence in the things that you've done, placing your confidence in your good works and your righteous acts. The Bible says that the best that you can do is nothing but filthy rags. That sounds mean, but it's actually really, really encouraging because it gets us to the place where we just give up. We give up trying to make ourselves right with God. We give up trying to make ourselves perfect with God and we rest in the fact that Jesus already did it for us. We just rest in the fact that he did it for us and we begin to live in response, not to earn right standing with God, but because Jesus already made that right standing possible. And everything we do is in response. It's not to make myself look good. It's not to get a little star on my chart from God. It's in response to what God has done. I wanna live my life as a spiritual act of worship to please God. Whose resume are you putting your confidence in? Are you putting it in yourself or are you putting it in Jesus's finished work for you? And then the last thing I wanna ask you is this. Do you wanna know Christ more than anything else? I love Paul because he's, he, his resume is, is, is amazing. And he says, all of it is garbage. All I want is to know Christ more and more. There's no confidence in any of that stuff. All I want is I want to know Christ more and more. I want to wake up each day growing closer to Christ. I want to work through every single day. I just want to know Christ more and more. Is that your heart's desire? Because that's the desire of what our, what our heart's desire should be as far as Christ. And I'll just be honest with you, as your pastor at times, that's not my heart's desire. It's really, really easy to get, to get off focus, to get distracted, to hold on to things that really have no value. It's just really, really easy. So I have to constantly remind myself, is knowing Jesus my greatest reward? What can I do to know him greater today? What can I do to walk in his presence greater today? How can I know him more? And I hope and pray that that is every single one of us who say we're in Christ. I hope and pray that that is our desire this morning. I hope and pray that that is our desire, that we would be a church full of people who just want to know Jesus, who just want to live for Jesus, who just want to show Jesus to the world that needs Jesus. So maybe you're in here today and you've come in here with your spiritual resume. Maybe you're in here and you don't feel like your resume is very good. Great news. Jesus' resume is perfect and it's available to you. 
Maybe you come in here today and you're on the opposite side. You're very self-righteous. You think your, your right standing with God is because of, because of how good you are. I got great news for you too. You're just as messed up as the other person and you need Jesus' resume too. That's right. Your resume is not gonna get you in, but Jesus has a resume for you. The Bible says we put our faith in Jesus. We believe in him. We confess our sins, the Bible says. We repent from our past. We turn away from our past. And we turn to Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus. From, the, from this day forward, we are following Jesus. We are trusting Jesus. We never stop trusting him. We never grow past this. We never outgrow the grace of God. Nothing changes that. We never stop needing Jesus. So maybe you're in here today and, and you don't know him today. And today you're saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus and his resume of perfection in my place for my sins. Would you just raise your hand today so I know I'm praying with you? I see a hand back there. Anybody else? Anybody else want to pray that prayer today? I, I'm just going to encourage you as I pray. I just want you to pray in your own words. Just invite Christ into your heart. Repent from that, that religious mindset. Repent from that trying to do it on your own. Just repent and turn, the Bible says, and, and begin to walk as a follower of Christ today. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you are a good God. Lord, you are such a good God. Lord, you are, you are a perfect God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you died in our place for our sins. God, I thank you that our righteousness, no matter how good we think we are, is not about us. It's not based on ourselves. The only thing that we bring in when it comes to righteousness is if we are in Christ. If we are found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that is found in Jesus. And so today, Lord, I pray that every single one of us in here would never put our trust in ourselves and our own resume, but we would begin to trust you from this day forward in your resume in our place for our sins. Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for what Jesus has made possible for us. And we give you all the praise today, all the glory. We will live our lives to follow you and tell people about you, God. Our heart's desire is to know you more. And we will worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray.